This message is presented to you by Pastor James Moore and New Life Community Church in Kansas City, Missouri. For more information or to donate, please visit newlifekc.com. As we begin this morning, I'd like to begin by the reading of God's Word, and I've asked Susie Nichols if she would share that with us. Let's read God's Word together. The apostles and believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the Word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, You went into the house of an uncircumcised man and ate with them? Starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to where I was. I looked into it, and I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds. Then I heard a voice telling me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. I replied, surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and then it was all pulled up to heaven again. Right then, when the three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying, the Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Acts 11, 1 through 18. Thank you, Susie. If I were to start a sentence with the words, there are two types of people in the world. How would you finish that sentence? There are two types of people in the world. Givers and takers. Believers and unbelievers. Male and female. A lot of dispute about that right now. Somebody once said there are two types of people in the world. Those who divide people into two types of people and those who don't divide into two types of people. So what say you? I submit that one way to divide people into two types would be to say there are rule keepers and rule breakers. You may have noticed that some people just have an internal compulsion to follow the rules, uh, even if those rules are questionable. And there, then there's others who <laughs> seem only to enjoy life when they are breaking the rules. There's an old joke about a little boy named Johnny whose mother had just returned from the grocery store, and Johnny pulled a box of animal crackers out of her grocery bag and spread those animal crackers all over the table. What are you doing? His mother asked. Johnny said, I'm looking for the seal. It says not to eat them if the seal is broken. Yeah, well, okay. Little Johnny is definitely a rule keeper. And I can respect that. 
People who, you know, like him, who keep rules, they keep society from descending into chaos. Uh, but it's also true that we can sometimes keep rules that no longer serve any purpose. Sometimes our rules only serve to put up walls between ourselves and others. For instance, how many Christians, consciously or unconsciously, make up rules to decide who is or is not acceptable to God? It's kind of like when Debbie and I were young Christians back in the 1970s. I heard a pastor telling a story about how some visitor to one of his church services told one of his deacons, your pastor is going to hell. The deacon replied, my pastor is going to hell? Uh, may I ask why? The man said, his hair's too long. Well, the deacon thought he'd have a little fun with the guy, so he asked, well, how long should his hair be? And the man said, well, just about like mine. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that a coincidence? I mean, hair that was the length of this man's hair was acceptable, but any longer, and he was headed to hell. Some of you might be old enough to remember some of those absurd days when people would fight over the length of a man's hair. This man obviously felt he had the perfect length of hair ordained by God. Holy hair. And any man who dared let his hair grow longer was destined for Satan's domain. I don't see how anyone can read the teachings of Jesus Christ and believe such nonsense. So yes, sometimes rules keep us from descending into chaos, but sometimes rules keep us from understanding the awesomeness of our God. And I suggest that this hair rule may follow, fall into the second category. Now, of course, I suspect that most of us, most of us are guilty of passing judgment on people who are different from us. Sometimes we go as, as far as to create rules about who is or who is not acceptable to God. Kind of like we're God's bouncers. Like we're the ones who get to decide who's let in and who is kept out. And this is not a new problem. It's, it actually existed in Bible times. The scripture that Susie just read from the 11th chapter of Acts is about the new and growing community of Jesus followers that sprang up after Jesus' death and resurrection. And the apostles, you see, they were leaders in this young community of believers. They were doing exactly what they thought Jesus wanted them to do. Spread the good news of the Savior, beginning with the nation of Israel first. But then somebody broke the rules. It was Simon Peter, the leader of the apostles. Simon Peter did a no-no. He went into a non-Jewish home. He actually ate a meal with those uncircumcised heathens. And then he shared the message of Jesus with them. What was he thinking? 
And when Peter got back to Jerusalem, <laughs> man, was he ever in for a heap of criticism from the Jewish believers. It, it reminds me of the time that the famous pastor, Charles Spurgeon, he once had a woman from his church who cornered him and began to spew out a long list of criticisms at him. And Spurgeon just stood there and, and smiled at her. And when she paused for a breath, he responded, Yes, thank you. I am quite well. I hope you're the same. Well, the confused woman started over again with her long list of criticisms. So Spurgeon responded, Yes, it does look like it's going to rain. I think I'd better be getting on. And at this point, the woman just gave up, and as she turned to walk away, she said, bless the man, he's deaf as a post. What's the issue storming at him? Man, I wish I had the confidence to respond like Spurgeon when I'm facing criticism. Fortunately, Peter, he didn't need to pretend that he was deaf when the circumcised believers criticized him. He only needed to tell them what God had done. See, while praying, Peter had a vision of a large sheet that came down from heaven, and in that sheet were all kinds of animals. There was reptiles and birds, both clean and unclean. You, you see, in Leviticus 11, God commanded the Hebrew people to not eat certain animals, birds, reptiles. They were, not, they were not do this as a sign of their holy relationship with God. I mean, it was in God's word, so Peter and the other Jewish believers would never, ever consider breaking this rule. However, in this vision that Peter had, a voice from heaven clearly commanded him to get up, Peter, kill and eat. So Peter protested, of course. He said, surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean ever, ever entered my mouth. And then the voice spoke a second time. Don't call anything impure that God has made clean. And this happened three times, and then it was all pulled up to heaven again. Pretty amazing. And then right after Peter saw this vision, there was these men from Caesarea who approached him, asked him to come share the message of Jesus with a Gentile family. Now, Gentile means anybody who's not a Jew, non-Jewish. Well, what was Peter to do? Refuse to share the gospel? So he went. And when Peter began preaching to the Gentile family, they received the Holy Spirit. Gentiles? Receiving the Holy Spirit? What will God think up next? And suddenly, the walls that kept Gentiles out of the early church began to tumble down. Now, for our lesson today, I'd like for us to focus on Peter's response because I believe it's a powerful example of how to pivot our mindset from being God's bouncer to being God's ambassador. Before we do, however, I want to ask each of you a deeply personal question. Are you ready? 
Here's the question. Do you expect God to do something important with your life? Do you believe God has a purpose for you? See, I think if we're honest, most of us will admit that we don't actually expect God to do anything really important in and through our lives. I think most of us tend to believe that God uses other people, you know, smarter people, holier people, more talented people. That's who he chooses to do his work, not us. As someone once said, our chronic weakness is not that we expect too much from God, but that we trust him for too little. And you see, we need to trust him. And the reason we need to trust him is because he is trusting us. One of my favorite passages of scripture is found in 2 Corinthians it says this, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Now listen carefully what it says. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you. On Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Now, did you catch that? God is trusting us, you and me, with the message of reconciliation. This is a truth, friends, that we must accept. We must embrace. God is trusting me to reconcile the world to him. Will you repeat that after me? Say, God is trusting me to reconcile the world to him. Say it again. God is trusting me to reconcile the world to him. Is that what God's word says? Read it with me. We are, put the, put, put the scripture, we are, it talks about we are Christ's ambassador. Yeah, we are therefore Christ's you guys, are you guys with me? Okay. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. So who are Christ's ambassadors? We are. We are. Amen and amen. And because he is trusting us, we must trust him. And we must trust him enough to obey Whatever he says. See, here we have Peter, the leader of the apostles, being mightily used of God, when suddenly, suddenly he's given a change of plans. His faith is being tested. So, will he be willing to adjust and obey no matter what? an old Peanuts cartoon strip I think we can all relate to. In the first panel, Charlie Brown says, I learned something in school today. 
I signed up for folk guitar, computer programming, stained glass art, shoemaking, and a natural foods workshop. And in the second panel, he says, instead, I got spelling, history, arithmetic, and two study periods. In the third panel, Charlie's friend asks, so what did you learn, Charlie? And Charlie says, well, I learned that when you sign, what you sign up for and what you get are often two different things. Boy, isn't that the truth. Peter's being challenged to accept a sudden change in his plans, a new assignment that will undoubtedly bring both opposition and harsh criticism. I mean, the Jews are God's chosen people. And Jesus, the Savior, he himself was a Jew. Everyone knows that salvation is for God's people, not those heathen Gentiles. But here's how Peter's story ends, how he ends the story in verse 17. He says, so if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think I could stand in God's way? And he was referring, of course, to the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter's saying if God could give the Gentiles the gift of the Holy Spirit, how could they possibly be excluded from the church? And so here's a question. Are there times when you and I could be standing in God's way? Is it possible that our beliefs our attitudes, our prejudices, or our actions are interfering with the work of God in us and through us. How do we treat those who disagree with us on baptism or communion or church membership? Are, are, are we withholding the love and truth of Jesus Christ from certain people or certain groups, you know, like maybe Muslim terrorists, radical leftists, members of the LGBTQ community, white supremacists. Are we withholding God's love from these people because we've decided that they're unacceptable to God? In other words, are we standing in God's way or are we standing in God's will? It's an important question. And to find the answer, I suggest we ask ourselves three questions. And the first question to ask ourselves is, how big is my spiritual family? Let's remember that the reason Jesus came was to enlarge our spiritual family. What's the central teaching of Jesus' life? What's the central teaching of the Bible itself? Isn't it found in John 3, 16? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God so loved the world, friends, the world. That's a pretty big family. And now notice the accusation thrown at Peter at the beginning of the Bible passage. It says, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. See, in those days, it was taboo for Jewish 
believers to eat with non-Jews. So for Peter to go into this Gentile house, and like I said, the word Gentile simply refers to non-Jewish people. For Peter to go into a Gentile house and share a meal with those people implied that Jews and Gentiles were equal in God's eyes. It implied that Gentiles were fully acceptable to God. And by the way, all of us, most all of us in this room need to be saying amen, praise the Lord for that. Otherwise, none of us would be there. There was this pastor in New York City, Dr. James Forbes, and he came from this family of 10 children. He grew up in South Carolina. He tells the story of how his mother would call the Forbes children to the dinner table each evening. And so each, each evening, Mrs. Forbes would stand on the front porch, and she'd yell, Are all the children in? Are all the children in? See, the meal couldn't be blessed, couldn't be eaten until all 10 of the Forbes kids had taken their place at the table. And as Dr. Forbes said, he said, that is how God calls to each and every one of us in the church. Are all the children in? Are all the children in? See, that's the whole reason Jesus came to this world. Shared the message of God. Died on the cross. It was all done so all God's children could be gathered into his kingdom. And listen, that's our job too. If you claim to be a follower of Jesus, that means your calling, your mission, your life's greatest goal and priority is to be to bring as many people as possible to the love and truth of Jesus Christ. And in order to do that, I suggest we ask, how big is my spiritual family? And the second question we need to ask ourselves is, how great is God's grace? See, in this Bible passage we read, Peter first had this vision of sheep filled with animals and reptiles and birds. And what did he do? He backed away. Because some of those were designated as unclean for God's people. But then the voice from heaven said, don't call anything impure that God has made clean. I want you to think about that for a minute because, see, we don't have the power. We don't have the power to make anything clean. We can't even clean ourselves up enough to qualify for God's approval. The only thing that can make us clean in God's eyes is the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. So who are we? Who are we to judge anybody else? If you read through the book of Acts, one message is really clear. God's love is greater than our limitations. God's plan is greater than our prejudices. There was a host of a religious talk show was interviewing this guy who had lived a pretty rough and reckless life until he became a follower of Christ. And, and as he told about his spiritual journey, he continually was thanking God, thanking God for changing his life. And this caused the talk show host to make an interesting comment. She said, you know what I've noticed? People who have always been in the church, people who have always done the right thing, people who have always been prim and proper, they don't know how to give thanks to God. She said, I, in fact, I've noticed that more often than not, they complain because God hasn't done more for them. 
And the point is this, friends. It's only when you've experienced God's grace, which is his undeserved, unearned love. It's only when you receive God's grace that you can really know the joy of God's peace. And the only reasonable response to grace is gratitude. We should be continually thanking God for giving his one and only son to take on the penalty of death for us so we could have eternal life. But even that's not enough, friends. That's not enough. We need to then make sure to tell everyone we know about the awesome greatness of God's grace so they can find salvation and they can have eternal life too. The old, old story about the missionary physician working on the interior regions of China. One day he performs this cataract surgery on a blind man. And for the first time in his life, the man could see clearly. And naturally, he was overjoyed. And a few weeks later, this previously blind man returned to the missionary compound. But unlike the first time, this time he had came, he wasn't alone. He came dragging this long rope. And holding on to this long rope were more than 50 men, women, and children, all blind. They'd come from as far as 250 miles away, journeying through the wilderness, holding on to this rope. Why? For their guidance. You see, the healed man wasn't just grateful for his own healing. He was determined to lead as many people out of darkness as he could. And that's exactly what Peter and the apostles were called to do when they shared the message of God with the Gentiles. When we really, I think when we really understand the greatness of God's grace, we realize we just can't leave anybody else out. Ask yourself, do I want to be in God's way or in God's will? And the best way to ensure you're in God's will is to ask yourself the question, how big is my spiritual family and how great is God's grace? And the final question we need to ask ourselves is, how can I get in on the party? How can I get in on it? Because when you finally realize the goodness of God and the greatness of God's grace and the wonder of God's plan for humanity, man, you can't help but celebrate. Look, look again at the final verse in our Bible passage for today. Acts eleven eighteen. When they heard this, they, they referring to the Jewish believers, when they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, so then even to Gentiles, even to those people we don't like, even to those people that have hurt us, even to those people who we've been told are less than us. Even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life, and they praised God. From accusations and division to praising God. Man, isn't that a reason for a party? And finally, I want to tell you about a place in Southern California. 
It's called Imperial Valley. And sometime in the 1980s, a man named Leonard Knight moved to Imperial Valley. Leonard was a welder. He was a handyman from Vermont, also a veteran of the Korean War. And sometime in his life, he became a follower of Jesus. And his philosophy of life became, love Jesus and keep it simple. So Leonard packed a few belongings in his old truck and moved out into California, into the desert, to fulfill a calling that he felt came from God. Now, Leonard didn't have any resources to, to speak of, but he had a dream to share God's love with the world. So you know what he did? He began collecting, gathering adobe, clay, and paint, and other items, and he slowly began building a monument to God's love. And over a 30-year period, Leonard added more clay and more straw and other items to the monument until it eventually took the shape of a man-made mountain 50 feet tall, 150 feet wide. And Leonard named his monument Salvation Mountain. And on it, he painted Bible verses. He put prayers on there. He put birds and flowers and stars. And on top of the Salvation Mountain is a large white cross. Underneath the cross in huge red and pink letters are the words, God is love. In fact, the word love is prominently displayed all over the mountain. And just as Leonard had hoped, thousands of people have come from all over the country to view Salvation Mountain. In, in fact, in 2002, Barbara Boxer, the senator, entered Salvation Mountain into the congressional record as a national treasure. You see, Leonard Knight understood that God's family is huge and God's grace is great. And he wanted to invite everyone into God's party. So he created a giant man-made mountain with the sole purpose of telling people about God's love. So what about us? How do we get in on the party? And how do we invite as many as possible to come to the party too? Oh, by the way, there's only one type of person not two. <laughs> One type of person is, and this is in God's eyes, greatly loved and worth dying for. Galatians 3.28, the Apostle Paul says this, There's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So our lesson for today is this. We are not God's bouncers. We are God's ambassadors. It's not our job to put limits on God's love. It's not our job to decide who should be in and who should be out. It's our job to share the love and salvation of Jesus Christ with everyone. Say everyone. Everyone. 
hoping that all, say all, that all those God created will have the opportunity to be born again into his kingdom. There's an old gospel song that came to mind when I was putting my message together, and it's an old gospel song. But maybe you can sing it with me if you know it. It goes like this. Oh, to be his hand extended, reaching out to the oppressed. Let me touch him. Let me touch Jesus so that others may know and be blessed. We can be the hand of God. Sing it again. Oh, to be his hand extended, reaching out to the oppressed. Let me touch him. Let me touch Jesus so that others may know and be blessed. Thank you for listening to this message. For more information, please visit newlifekc.com.